Part three of Exeter by Sidney Heath. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The X. After leaving the peaceful atmosphere of the cathedral, the noise and distractions of the modern city grate upon us. The return to the twentieth century commonplace after the fourteenth century refinement is too sudden, there being no intermediate stage between the one and the other between the gloom of the great church and the glare and feverish hurry of a prosperous city. This being so, we cannot do better than seek a measure of quietude and repose along the banks of the X, a river which, rising on Exmoor, gives name to Exeter, Exminster and Exmouth. Although rising in Somerset, the river may fittingly be claimed as a Devonian one as it enters the county, a little below Dulverton, where it receives the waters of the Baal. At the beginning of its career the X flows through a country of great beauty and much romantic interest which has been immortalised by R. D. Blackmore in Lorna Doon. This land of Exmoor is a heathery plateau that rivals in everything but extent the sister moorland which gives birth to that prince of English rivers, the Dart. Dartmoor is larger, wilder and grander in the bold contours of its cloud-capped tours but the wildness of Exmoor is blended with a sweet and gentle charm which is all its own. It presents us with a panorama of misty woods, gleaming water and glowing heather, a coom-furrowed moorland, clothed with scrub-oaks and feathery larches. After leaving this forest shrine, the X enters Devonshire, where, after flowing through richly wooded and fertile valleys, it sweeps past the ancient town of Tiverton, where it is swelled by the waters of the Loman. Three miles from Tiverton, it reaches Bickley Bridge, beyond which it is the recipient of the Colm, the largest of all its tributaries. Along the greater part of its course to this point, its silver streams thread their way between sloping hills, crowned with hanging woods, and by scenery of the true Devonian order. At Cowley Bridge, two miles above Exeter, the river is joined by the Creedy, which, coming from the north-west, flows through and gives name to Crediton, or Crediton. The course of the X from its source on Exmoor to the sea at Exmouth is estimated at about 70 miles. It is a pure, pellucid stream, until joined by the Creedy, which imparts to it a reddish colour from the soil through which the latter flows. The importance of the river to Exeter, especially before the waterway was obstructed by Isabella de Fortibus, Countess of Devon, cannot be overestimated, and in old books many of the now flourishing ports on the south coast are described as creeks under Exeter. From ancient records it seems certain that an arm of the sea extended to the very walls of the city, and from the facility thus afforded to commerce, Exeter, at a very early period, became the great trading port of the West Country. Of the various trades carried on here, those of the woollen and its allied industries were the most numerous. It was also one of those favoured English ports to which licences were granted in 1428 for the embarkation of devout persons and pilgrims who were visiting the great continental shrines, and particularly that of St. James at Compostela. Before they were permitted to leave this country, these medieval devotees were required to swear a solemn oath that they would not take with them anything prejudicial to England, nor to reveal any of its secrets, 
nor carry out with them any more gold or silver than what would be sufficient for their reasonable expense. As civilization increased, trade and commerce, both foreign and domestic, kept pace with the growth of the city, and in the reign of Elizabeth, the wool merchants of the county, and the wool staplers of its capital, had risen to fame and opulence. In the year 1560, Queen Elizabeth granted the traders of Exeter a charter of privileges, and letters patent were issued forming them into a company under the name of a Society of Merchant Adventurers of the City of Exeter. The possession of the charter induced the citizens to commence the spirited undertaking of cutting a canal to Topsham, a work that was begun in 1564, and which constitutes one of the earliest examples of canal navigation in the country. But why, it might be asked, did the need for cutting a canal arise when the river flowed up to the heart of the city? This need arose in consequence of the obstruction of the natural waterway near Topsham by Isabella de Fortibus, Countess of Devon, with the result that no ships could proceed beyond Countess Weir at Topsham, four miles below Exeter. The first obstruction was placed in the river by Isabella de Fortibus about the year 1284, owing to a dispute she had with the merchants of the city concerning various dues. The merchants appealed to Henry III, who ordered the obstruction to be removed, but so powerful were the earls of Devon in those days that no steps were taken to restore the navigation of the waterway. In 1312, the river was still further obstructed by Hugh Courtney, Earl of Devon, the first member of the Courtney family to hold the earldom. Tradition states that the motive for the Earl's action was the displeasure he felt towards the mayor and citizens of Exeter on the following occasion. His steward was sent into the city to buy fish, and the bishop's steward having been sent for the same purpose, the two servants met in the market on a day when there were only three kettles of fish for sale. Each of the stewards wanted the whole of the supply, and after a quarrel, the mayor was sent for to decide the issue, which he did by giving each of the stewards one basket, and retaining the third for the use of the citizens. The mayor was in the service of the earl, who, hearing of the decision, visited the city and sent for the mayor. The latter summoned the citizens to meet him at the Guildhall, where he explained to them the cause of the earl's displeasure, and requested them to accompany him. According to Tyak, the Exeter historian, being come to the earl's house, the mayor was conducted to his lodging chamber, and the door closed on him, and finding that none of his speeches would satisfy the earl, who stormed at him, he took off an outer coat he then wore, it being the earl's livery, and delivered it to him again, at which the earl fell into a greater passion. The commons attending at the door, doubting the mayor's safety, knocked and demanded their mayor, being several times denied, they attempted to break open the door, which the earl, apprehending and fearful of what might ensue, entreated the mayor to pacify the people, which was soon done, and they all peaceably returned. And though the earl then, to avoid the fury of the people, seemed pacified, he could never afterwards show a good countenance to the city. In order to revenge himself on the citizens, he built a quay at Topsham, and compelled all merchants and captains of ships to unload their cargoes and convey them by wagon to the city, to the inconvenience of the merchants and his own profit. He also took from the citizens their rights of fishing in the river, 
and oppressed them in various ways. Some years later, Edward Courtenay, nephew of Hugh, still further blocked the waterway by erecting two other weirs, under the pretext of building some mills. Many complaints were made to the king, and various writs were issued against the earls, but no one dared to enforce them. For four hundred years the feud continued over what was apparently the destination of a kettle of fish, although in later days there is no doubt that the earl's motives were to increase the income of their own port of Topsham at the expense of Exeter. On the receipt of Queen Elizabeth's charter in 1560, the citizens at length decided to construct a canal to Topsham. This was begun in 1564 and completed in 1697, and it is one of the earliest examples of canal navigation in the country. Topsham is now a little port, whose shipping trade is confined to small coasting schooners and fishing smacks. The Church of St. Margaret is very large, and with the exception of the tower, has been almost entirely rebuilt. Near Topsham, the X is joined by the little river Clist, and just below the confluence, the X expands until it is more than a mile in width. From the Clist, many villages take name, as Clist St. Lawrence, Rod Clist, Honiton Clist, Clist St. Mary, and Clist St. George. The last two are near Topsham, and were the scene of a struggle during the prayer book riots. In Devon, the insurrection started on Whit Monday, 1549, at Sampford Courtney, the day following that on which the act altering the church service came into force. The people of the village insisted on the priest saying the usual mass instead of the prayers given in the appointed book of common prayer. The rebellion spread rapidly, and a thousand men marched on Exeter, with a good sprinkling of old Devon families in their ranks. But they were undisciplined and were quickly dispersed by Lords Grey and Russell. Although demoralised, the rebels assembled at Clis St. Mary, which they fortified. From here they sent word to the king, demanding the continuance of their former church services. But the king's reply was an army under the command of Lord Russell. And after a brief resistance, Clis St. Mary was burned to the ground, and the rebels scattered, to be again beaten, and their leaders taken on Clist Heath. The vicar of St. Thomas's Church, Exeter, at that time situated outside the walls, one of the leaders was hanged from his own church tower. On the west bank of the X, almost opposite Topsham, are Powderham Park and Castle, the latter supposed to have been built originally by Isabella de Fortibus. It has been conjectured, and is indeed highly probable, that a fortified building or earthwork of some kind occupied the site at a much earlier date, possibly as early as the Danish invasions. In later times the manor belonged to the Bohans, and it came into possession of the Earls of Devon through the marriage of Margaret de Bohan with Hugh Courtenay, the third Earl. In 1645 the castle was besieged, unsuccessfully, by Fairfax, but in the following year it was taken by Colonel Hammond. Until about the middle of the 18th century it remained strongly fortified, but at that time it was subjected to many alterations. The oldest part of the present castle dates from the time of Richard II, but the whole fabric has undergone so many restorations that it presents a great variety of architectural styles. 
The fine modern hall contains a fireplace which is a replica of the one at the palace Exeter. The park is a delightful stretch of greensward, studded with ancient oaks, and it extends for many miles around the building. In one corner of the park is the little church of St. Clement, a perpendicular building of red sandstone, and within which are several memorials of the Courtenays. These include a recumbent effigy, popularly supposed to represent the renowned Isabella, although this lady is known to have been buried at Bromnor Priory Wilts. It is the opinion of some authorities that this monument is a cenotaph to Elizabeth, daughter of Edward I, and wife of Humphrey de Bohun, whose daughter Margaret married Hugh Courtenay. On the highest ground of the park is the Belvedere, erected in 1773, a triangular tower with a small hexagonal turret at each corner. It is sixty feet high, and from the summit the view comprises the city of Exeter, the broad estuary of the Ex, the village of Limpstone, and the little town of Topsham, where the spars of the ships appear to mingle with the trees on the river's banks. Looking inland we may see the well-wooded country, stretching away in a succession of hills and combes, until the view is bounded by the stone-capped heights of Dartmoor in the far distance. The parish of Woodbury, on the east bank of the river, contains several small villages and a large stretch of common. Woodbury Castle is a well-known earthwork on the top of a high hill. It is probably prehistoric in origin, although afterwards occupied by the Romans. The church of St. Swithin at Woodbury has a chancel in the decorated and a tower in the perpendicular styles. The beautiful screen has been modernised and consequently spoiled, but some good monuments may still be seen. Nutwell Court, overlooking the estuary, is a modern mansion on the site of a castle which had been converted into a dwelling-house so early as the reign of Edward IV. It is now the home of the Drakes, of the same family as the famous sailor of Elizabethan days. Among the relics preserved here are the cups given to Sir Francis Drake by Queen Elizabeth on his return from the memorable voyage round the world in the Pelican. Here also is a portrait of Sir Francis by Zucchero. Exmouth, although a modern watering place, has a few points of interest, being one of the oldest seaside resorts on the southwest coast. In the time of King John it was an important port, and it supplied ten ships and 193 seamen for Edward III's expedition to Calais. The principal part of the present town is very modern, but it is very pleasantly situated. The greater part of the town is included in the parish of Littleham, whose church, dedicated to St. Margaret and St. Andrew, is of early English and perpendicular architecture. The Spratshays Isle was probably built by the Drakes of Spratshays. The screen, dating from about 1400, has richly undercut corny spans. The Stafford and Wake knots being freely introduced among the carvings. There are many delightful walks around Exmouth, both along the coast and inland, the view from Beacon Hill being very fine and including a large strip of the eastern and the western coastlines that border the blue waters of the English Channel. End of part three. End of Exeter by Sydney Heath.